0: This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen with our ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker.
1: I'm here with Ted Oakley, the founder of Oxbow Advisors down there in Austin, Texas. Ted, thank you for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Glad to be here, Nathaniel. I'm glad to have you. And it's an interesting time in markets and people sometimes listen to this podcast because of, to get ideas of where to invest. But just as often, they listen to find out where not to invest. I have a feeling that today's podcast will be more of the latter example. So let's let's take it from the top. What are your views on markets right now on stocks and on where one could maybe invest one's money?
2: Well, Nathaniel, in our uh, market letter we wrote the first week in January, uh, we said that we thought that the markets would hit new highs in the first quarter. Because when you get this close, uh there's always been around a long time, and momentum will usually push you into those new highs, and that's really basically what's happening. If you look at everything it's it's almost one hundred percent momentum it's not anything else. Um, and we so we thought that would happen, but we also thought that would that might be the high for the year such that a lot of this stuff that we see underneath uh, sort of underground underneath the top is is not that great. and so we um and the other side of that is that just you know we we can sort of tell we don't time the markets particularly, but we we know when we can't find things that hit our valuation screens, and so when it's the pickings are really slim, like now, that usually means you're fairly high priced. Doesn't mean that we go all cash or something like that, but we've got a lot. But but right now, I just I think I think people at this level would be wise to at least think about cutting back some and, and having a little bit of defense right now. Mm. You mentioned some underlying things that you've spotted. Can you talk about that? Because there doesn't seem to be much, at least economically. Yeah. Well, there are things that people don't see Yeah, that way. You know, if you look at, there's different things, but if you look if just let's take uh, hourly earnings, for example. Mm-hmm. On the hour, de- hour work per week is on the decline, which is not. That's one. Of, that's a good indicator. Typically, if work weeks are declining, that just means that you know business is not that good, and so we're seeing declining work week, declining overtime. You know, we're also seeing on the other side, the consumer side, which we don't think they're in that great shape. I mean, they're doing more borrowing. The credit card balances are up. Buy now, pay later up a lot. We're seeing auto, you know, auto payments are are behind. You all of a sudden you're starting to get get that happening, and then you're getting credit card delinquencies the same way. It all fits together. Uh, we're not getting any pickup, particularly from the real estate business, because they're only selling brand new homes that are worth three hundred grand. That's not going to get you anywhere in the economy, I don't think. But so overall, and autos are not that great right now. So a lot of the sections are not doing that well. Um, this, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, if you look at the manufacturing area, ISM ticked up a little bit in the services this past month, but we just don't think that's a, we don't think it'll last a long time. It could, uh, but it all depends on whether the, the federal government comes back and puts a lot more stimulus into the marketplace. Yeah, I want to
1: talk about the Fed in a, in a minute, but to your point we just today as we record this on Thursday, February 15th had retail sales come in much softer than anticipated yeah. in January. So do you think there there are some cracks there in the consumer because the consumer
2: has been very buoyant here ever since COVID. They have they had money, you know, after COVID they had extra money that was given to them. Right. But then if you look at the last 12 to 15 months they have extra money because they borrow it. Well, at some point in time, and it's sort of like, you know, a lot of people talk about the Gen Z and maybe younger millennials where they call it sort of the, the, the doom trade where they, they can't buy a home, they can't do all the big stuff. So they say, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy a watch or I'm going to, we're going to take a trip to Hawaii. They just spend it. That's what I'm saying. And we see, and people wonder, you know, I have people all the time tell me, Hey, there's a lot of people in the airports and they, and there are. But then if you look at restaurant sales year to year, they're really down a lot mm. nationwide. And mm. so I think, yeah, that's what I mean by under underneath it yeah. all. Yeah. No, that's, that's fascinating because that's the type of stuff that we would be looking for. Because I guess it's no secret that the economic cycle is kind of long in the tooth here, right? Well, it is. And I think people probably underestimate how big that the tentacles of commercial real estate are going to be, you know, it just got started really. Mm. So, you know, you probably have two to five years ahead of you where there'll be nothing, but you know, know, they're going to, all of that stuff was a lot of it, I should say was non-recourse. So they're going to be going back to the banks and they'll resell and that where we see a lot of that, but we think it just started. Mm. Mm. Is, Is there a systemic
1: issue there potentially with, uh, the, re- the commercial real estate and who's holding all the bags here?
2: Well, it would be with the banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm involved in a community bank myself for 25 years. And so I, I know quite a bit about community banking. We don't happen to have, we have virtually no CRE, but, but if you look uh, at most banks, they do have yeah. a good bit of commercial real estate. And what I'm noticing now about banks, say between 1 billion and say 10 billion, particularly is the banks that i i knew were good banks but now they're either making very little money or making no money or a few of them are losing money and 10 years ago they wouldn't have been doing that hmm.
1: yeah that's all uh, kind of not great i should say and we saw a, a sell-off last week in regional banks they've since recovered a bit but um
2: yeah there is some some noise there again after last year The problem for them then, Nathaniel, was this, if you think about it, in 23, the rates were lower to start out with and they gained, they went up higher as you went along. And so banks didn't have to pay the exorbitant rates they have to pay now for deposits. By the time you got to the end of the year, they had to pay it. And so that means that all of this year they'll be paying the high rates, see? And that cuts your margins way, way down when you have to do that. Yes, however, Rates and that is an area
1: that can change. Yeah. And if the Fed cuts rates, and what are your views there? Because it's already been pushed back. You know, coming into the year, you had some people saying that January could be a rate cut, then March. And now after the most recent meeting and speeches, we're looking at May, maybe. So what do you view? Where do you view that when we could see rate cuts?
2: Well, I always like to say, Nathaniel, that we don't have any idea. <laughs> but uh, because we, we, you know, nobody knows. And so <laughs> but here's what we look at. I'll just tell you some things we look at. And I like uh, if you have unemployment at an all time low of 3.2, just think about it like this. And then you're going to have the Federal Reserve come in and start lowering rates. That means that all of a sudden you crank the wheels of inflation back up again. When you've already got unemployment, nobody can hire who they need already. So all of a sudden you push that out there, that's going to throw you in probably at least into a new round of, of inflation. If they don't wait till, you know, employment, unemployment goes higher, I think they're making a big mistake there because there wouldn't be any reason to lower rates if everything is okay at 5% or five and a half, you know, funds rate.
1: Mm. And, but so, yeah. Okay. And you don't think that the that the Fed could when when they do cut rates, and yeah, you would need a slowdown in the economy presumably before they do, that that could help out some of the, the real estate issues and some of these other issues that we that we're seeing.
2: Well, it could, but think about it like this: uh, if people are looking for, let's say, they're looking for three cuts this year, that would take you down to four percent on the Fed funds rate, and. That wouldn't lower your mortgage rates that much. It would lower them some, for example. That that would help. But you would still be at a fairly, you know, you're you're thinking uh, you know, three quarters or one percent, you'd still have a seven and a half percent prime rate. So if you're borrowing, that's not cheap money, mm-hmm. not not around now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the big
1: picture. Uh now let's talk about some individual sectors here. And I'm assuming here actually I know from having spoken to you before that you're maybe not a very big fan of tech stocks and these magnificent 7 or however many there are now maybe Tesla has been kicked out but yeah
2: well I wouldn't say we weren't a big fan we okay. just just giving an idea of the ones that we own now and let me let me explain the difference between us and somebody else
0: Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
2: We've owned Microsoft for 15 years. We've owned Google a long time. You know, we've, we've owned Amazon a long time. What we've done all along as they've gone to higher prices, we felt like they were getting more and more expensive. We've cut those numbers back, okay? So now those are underweight from what a normal position would be, but we own those three. Okay, it's not like okay. we don't own them, but we don't own much of it. We're not like a lot of people that own, you know, forty or fifty percent of their portfolio in five stock, five or six stocks. So we, we, uh, and then they could go higher. It's just that most of that group, really, whatever you want to look at, we feel like that the, uh, we feel like that most of the growth that people are expecting. Is already built into those stocks.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: And uh, by the way, is it a magnificent, how how many is it now? Magnificent. Well, I think it's five because yeah, Tesla is on the way down. Yeah. Uh, Apple, we think is on the way down or mm. will be, and and we own a tiny bit of Apple left too. But we just we but we've recently sold some over one ninety, um, and it just like looks like Apple is going to be falling right in behind Tesla to us. Mm. It does. Hmm. Okay. All right. So what does that leave? What are you a little more positive about? Well, during the fourth quarter, uh, you saw us buy some consumer staples, which we have not bought in years, by the way, really? I have to tell you. Um, you know, we bought Coca-Cola, we bought McDonald's, we bought two or three healthcare companies uh, that we like, uh, and Cigna and Elevate. those companies, they've actually done well. Uh, we were going for defensive names because they got really cheap in the fourth quarter. And then we added, and then most recently, because we think people are misjudging energy, for example, um, on the production side, we, we added uh, EOG, um, which is a really, really good uh, EMP company, and another company called Northern Oil Northern and Gas. Both of them pay, by the way, with a special dividend, they both pay about 5%, which is something we like. And then we always own and buy most of the pipelines. If you look at our top holdings, enterprise products, MPLX, energy transfer, uh, Plains All-America, if you average those yields, uh, they're right around 860, 850, 860. And most of that comes on a K-1 like real estate. So you're not, you're not paying any current tax on it, which is meaningful to us. (laughs) Okay.
1: Now, okay. So that, I mean, that's nice on the income side, but yeah. To have any kind of uh, capital gains in these oil sectors, you would think you need economic expansion, right?
2: Well, either that or you have a situation where supply demand is really out of line. Yeah. I'll give you a really good example of that. 1977, the market peaked in January, actually January 2nd, and the rest of the year, the market went down all year long and oil went up all year long. Mm-hmm. And what throws people on energy a lot is that it, it's not always tied to what the market's doing. Uh, and there's other factors that can come into play. We have to think what will come into play here is that um, on a supply-demand basis that you know we're getting tighter and tighter and tighter, closer to where you know you know it's one and one. Now, uh, people can say that may not happen, but We even see sort of a turn back on EV going back toward fossil fuel cars. And so, you know, a lot of that will change, we think, but um, we just don't, we don't think the world's set up yet to where you cannot own energy. Mm, Yeah. And even
1: if electricity, electric cars do prevail, you Mm -hmm. still needed something that generates electricity. And usually that's going to be tied to fossil fuels, unless it's nuclear or something, I guess.
2: Okay, so that's really interesting. That for us, I mean, we like you know we like we natural glass is really cheap, and we we mm-hmm. that's another area where we think you know it, it's dollar seventy five an MCF right now. It should be three fifty or four dollars, just on average, just to mm-hmm. average. So you can see the upside of something like that. It won't go to zero, but it, mm-hmm. you know it'll it's cheap.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the healthcare, what's the view there? Just a def- defensive play.
2: It was, and they got cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you look at, at those companies, you know, they got cheap during the say September through uh, actually August, September, October. They got cheaper, and it was a chance to really you know add add them in there. Uh, that that's what we look for. what we look for in screening companies is we look for what we think they can make the next five years. We discount that back, you know, on a, a based on what we think inflation will be. And then we try to buy it un, under that. We try to buy it 15 or 20% under that number. Um, and you can imagine in today's marketplace, there's a lot of small companies that have that, but not big companies. And so mm. that's where we, we end up with that, you know. Mm.
1: And you don't like small caps?
2: Well, I, I do sometimes, but but not now. You mm-hmm. know, those companies are having a tough time financing. There's a lot of things going on with small companies right now. They just don't look like that's where you need to be. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So anything else that you would be looking to add here or to, to existing positions that you'd want to add to at these prices?
2: Well, I, I I wouldn't say add to any. If you look at us, you know, we've had things like Visa and MasterCard, which we think everybody ought to look at those companies when they when they sell off. Words, mm-hmm. don't, don't try to run them down and chase them. But those are the kind of companies you can own for a long, long time because they don't have... It's not bricks and mortar. You don't have to worry about capital expenditures particularly. And we just don't, we see the digital age of money uh, continually working in their favor. So those are two stocks we've owned a long time. But as far as buying new things, you know, uh, the only thing we, you know, we, we, again, we, we, they've gone up now, but the last things we bought were, you know, Cigna and Elevance and Unilever and companies like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so we we like that and so, uh, that's that's what we would look at right now. I think there's companies getting cheaper and cheaper. They just are not cheap enough for us, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: But you, it doesn't sound like you would buy any kind of sell off in tech.
2: I doubt, it. Mm-hmm. I doubt mm-hmm. it. I'm not saying we wouldn't at all, but you'd have to. You're going to have to have more than five percent or something. You've got to have a number that takes their numbers each company and throws it into where you know we what, what we would like to see
1: right okay um real quick before we take a break bonds bond market um
2: views there well in the bond account right now and i think where people are making mistake is if you look at the bond market the last three years and i i got i i read this last week that the last three years have been the worst three years uh, cumulative of the bond market since 1876. That's a long time. People are a little confused on thinking that bonds will always save them. But for us, the rates are high enough right now that for us, you know, why would we want to risk duration at 4.2 when I can get, you know, I can get short here and, and probably do okay for quite a while at you know five and a quarter and, and be say you know twenty four to thirty six months short to come in on the Treasury. Uh, on the municipal side we do we're we're doing the very same thing. We're doing right. tax free bonds. We're doing you know two, three, four year maturities. That's where we like it the best. I I know people are chasing the bonds right now, thinking that we're you know the Fed's gonna come in. But everybody right now, Nathaniel is be- begging, okay, begging, whole right. street. It's begging for a, a, a bond rally and a stock rally. Yeah. And uh, it just doesn't look like they'll fit together like that.
1: Yeah. So there could be a decoupling here. You see, because the stocks and bonds have moved together for a couple of years.
2: They have. Uh, but I think if, it, when whenever when this market peaks out, which I think, I'd be surprised if it doesn't here in the first half, then, then I think one of those things that will come out of that is is things will slow down and the fed will have to do something so your bonds probably would do better Uh, it's just that we don't want to play in that arena of 20 to 30 year maturity because you've got to be very very right there or you will get hurt and so it's easier for us to stay less than 60 months and we'll get most of the yield curve that way Um, you know we didn't chase the bonds when rates went down you know to nothing (laughs) we We refused to chase it. We didn't, we had some lean years. I'm talking about a couple of 1% years, but still we we didn't see what made it up for us was 22 and 23 where we, you know, we didn't have that paper so it didn't hurt us.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, this is some really interesting stuff, Ted. Very interesting conversation. I want to come back and ask you some more stuff, including about you, about your firm, about some of the books you've written. But let's first take a quick break. If you are a premium subscriber, Do not touch the dial because you will not get the break. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And everybody else to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
1: By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix. To get to that website.com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it, or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com, whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the daily contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m., This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. Welcome back, everybody, here with Ted Oakley of Oxbow advisors, Ted, this is the section of the show where we ask our guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves, how they came to investing in the first place and how their career unfolded to where they are now. So, uh, please do tell us about that.
2: Well, Nathaniel, uh, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm probably like a lot of people in the country that are really blessed to be where they are at this stage. I grew up really poor Okay. And I mean, seriously poor. And yeah, uh, I read you didn't have running water. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't have, we had, we had an outhouse and we had, we were, we were in the kind of sort of in the hillbilly part of the Smokies. Okay. Uh, no, not sort of. <laughs> we were. And uh, we, we, and what happened is we, we had a well on the back and we eventually, five years later, got indoor plumbing. But, it, you now, know, you, when
1: you, how, what year was, sorry, I keep in, but i what, what, how late was there? no indoor plumbing in in any parts of the. US
2: uh oh I'm sure there was I'm I'm sure there's I'm, I'm sure there's it may be today I, I'm sure. sure that in the last uh, the, there's been a lot of that up until in the last 10 or 15 years but I I think a lot of people don't realize how poor people really live and it's they, they sort of remove you know out of sight out of mind and so they don't have to think about it but but one of the things that does for you is, you know, I started working in the first job when I was six years old. So I always had to work and I knew I had to get educated. Um, and I left home at an early age, uh, educated myself. I was in the army a couple of years and I got really lucky. I was um, I was living in Dallas and, and a, and a fellow told me, uh, he said, hey, look, because uh, hey, I love math and I love numbers, love finance. And he said, hey, I've got a friend at Merrill Lynch that I think I think if you went with him, he will send you to New York, and uh, and that's what happened. That's uh, here. I you know, I'd already been a lot around the world. Really, been in the army a couple of years, but but I went. That's how we got started, and then I learned a lot there. And i I came back and uh, ended up with a private company. We sold that company in 1983, and since that time, we've had a couple of partnerships that still go on today. Arden Plant Oakley and Oxbow is named after I own a home in uh, north of Jackson Hole for many years. Uh, and there's a place there called Oxbow Bend. there's one of my favorite places. And so years ago, I named it Oxbow. That's how we got that name. Cool. And so, yeah. So then you've had this business since the eighties. Yeah, we we've been managing money. Uh, well, I've been in the business for 45 years, but we, we, we had it. It was HBO advisors earlier. And then we changed the name to Oxbow, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of ways. It's the same, you know, but some ways it's really, really different than it was 45 years ago, but yeah, I would say investor emotions, they never change. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the, the reason behind this podcast is that there, you always need to have the contrarian view in mind, even if you don't follow it just to, even if you, even if you know it's wrong, just to keep it in mind um
2: yeah well i've always said to everybody i i do i don't you know we happen to do what we do we may not be for everybody and i certainly understand that if if somebody is a real real aggressive and they like to really uh get out there and get with it like that that that's totally understandable and i'm not saying that's not right it's, it's not right for us and the people we manage money for but but i'm not saying that may not be right for them i'm not one of those kinds of people that thinks there's I've got a lot of friends that make money in this business a lot of different ways. And so I'm always open-minded to that.
1: Mm -hmm. Would you, is the money, the asset money management business, is this something that you would, if you were starting today, would you still get into it or, or, or not?
2: Well, that's a really good question that I have also pondered myself. Uh, I think today, okay. If I just look at the landscape today, for example, And I were a young person there. I've looked around at that. Uh, And it's funny because I think real estate's really full, you know, of people. And I think the finance business is really full of people. And, and so if I went into it, uh, I probably would. I mean, I love the business. I'd I'd do it if I didn't make any money at it, but to ask it where I go, if the problem about starting a firm, if your firm's big, you know, is it's, it takes you a long time to sort of make that happen. Hmm. And today, a lot of the people in the industry, and I just a lot of the people, they really don't know much about uh, finance, you know, and hmm. companies. They know how to buy ten or eleven or twelve sectors, exchange rated funds, that sort of thing. But if you get in and start asking them questions about income statements and balance sheets, well, they're, they they glass over. Hmm. <laughs> they, they don't know what you're talking about. But I think we will go back to that uh, eventually. But, uh, you know, that that's a, if you ask me the question, would I do it again? <clears throat> I probably would. But I probably would do it a little differently. Mm. How so? Just
1: have more uh, compliance and things like that? More lawyers? No,
2: I would. Um, I think what I would have done is uh, I probably would have been, have concentrated more on a little bit more sophisticated, you know, I, I, I would concentrate more like, it. we work a lot with business owners that sell companies. And I started that back in 1985. And I, if I'd done it 10 years earlier when I got in the business, that's my favorite place to work, is work with business owners after they sold businesses, because we speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would probably done more of that, actually, at that time. Mm, Fair enough. Okay.
0: Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
1: So obviously you've been uh, in the investing business for a very long time. And uh, I'd like to ask people who've been around for a while how they would equate today's market if obviously the short answer is there's no equivalent everything's different blah 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 but um there c- certainly are maybe some parallels and i'm curious if you if there's any at any point that you what well, you can compare this to you know going back i guess to the 80s or even earlier
2: well i can i mean you know if you looked at the early 80s like 79 to about 83 84 what happened was oil and gas was the hottest thing going mhm every time some little company Canadian or us would go drill a well and people would put the info out that they had X amount of barrels, this stuff, it was so speculative. It was incredibly speculative. And a lot of people lost a lot of money after that because they speculated in that group. I saw in 1987, I saw people just get caught up during the year. I did a little study in the middle of the year with my group. And I said, Hey, um, what are the odds if we're up 22% now or 23, whatever we were at that time, what are the odds of us making a lot more money than that this year? And they were pretty low. Hmm. And that caused us to raise about 50% cash in 87, different time. And then uh, what probably is the most I'd have to say would be the period of, of particularly early 99, say January 99 through the next two years and that was a culmination of all of this speculative investing in the internet, and everything was the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. the internet was going to do everything. And of course, I've got a list of over 300 companies that came public during that five year period that all went under, went to zero now, okay? So that com on the end of their name, and you couldn't, at that time, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't speak anything to anybody that would sober them up. I mean, it's like... I'm going to buy Cisco and Intel and, and I'm going to buy those kind of stocks forever. Okay. But some way, you know, and if you look at those companies, um, I wrote a piece in January of 2000. I listed 13 companies that were 74% of the S&P return in 99. Okay. Hmm. And two of them went down 40%, three went under, and the rest went down 80 to 90. Yeah over the over the next 10 years so so now we're similar to that you you got and i think we're worse than the nifty 50 because we're now the nifty five or six mm-hmm. and everybody's concentrated in that one thing and remind you know if you look at historically it's a lot like the late 20s um and unfortunately you don't have anybody around today to say hey i was alive in the trading during the 20s and this happened in 29 and people just kept on borrowing money and buying stocks and doing sort of... It's a lot like that, I think, now. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody has the same things. And unfortunately, I don't think they're thinking about what happens if something goes wrong with all of that. Because I will tell you, Nathaniel, if you look overseas, everybody owns these same you know, five to ten stocks that are in, in the S&P. Every individual, every time we see a portfolio come in here, They all own the same. Even though they've got exchange-traded funds, they'll still own these seven or eight stocks over here. Every mutual fund, it doesn't make no difference. Value, growth, ESG, they all own the same ones. Okay. So when you get a turn on that, that is going to be a hard turn to make because you're going to have too many people trying to go through that keyhole, and I just don't think it will work. That i'm just saying from a supply demand that's where we are right now every everybody we've never ever ever been this concentrated in such few names right there
1: mm. yeah that's uh, kind of interesting and, and quite but, scary but you
2: can't get them to sell i mean you talk to people that come in here and they've got a lot of Apple, or they've got a lot of Microsoft or a lot of one of these stocks and they made a lot of money in them and if you say well you know why don't why don't we take your cost out plus maybe 15 20 30 percent we'll leave the rest of it don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because you know what? It's going to go a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they told me in 2000, in 2002. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember that. I mean, I, I was there for,
2: uh, I mean, barely, yeah. I was a young guy, but in 99, but the word, in 2000, the word then Nathaniel was the new paradigm. Oh yeah. I new economy, asking, a new paradigm, new economy. And uh, it was for a few years, but I compare the art funds today. For example, you, I don't know if you remember this. There was a group of funds called Munger Net Net Funds, okay, mm-hmm. and they made these unbelievable returns for a couple of years. And interesting enough, over the next three years, they lost all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: I mean, although you could argue that a lot of that has kind of started to happen. I mean, if you look at somebody yeah. like, you know, to name and bring an obvious name, Kathy Wood. uh You know, she had bought all these hot stocks and. 2020 and 2021, a little late and, uh, you know, she still holds them and she's still doubling down. So, you, you know, it hasn't been up in a straight line up like it was in the late nineties. I mean, it has for
2: Nvidia and the others maybe, but. Well, there's no timer. One time told me, uh, when I was a young man in the business he said, Hey, look, if you keep on buying stocks and they keep on going down, you need to stop buying. <laughs> So if I were in those situations like that, I probably would stop buying to start with.
1: Yeah. I mean, eventually you would run out of money unless you can keep raising it from people one would think. Yeah. Um, Gosh. Right. Okay. So, all right. Well, this is all uh, quite enlightening. And so you're, you're not quite buying a soft landing for the economy either, are you?
2: Well, it would, it'll be hard to have uh, kind of an unusual word to to say right there, but would be hard to have a soft landing uh, because uh, if you look at it, all these lag effects that are, we're starting to see now, see all these companies that need to refinance now, they're starting to happen now. You know, they were able to put it off for maybe getting the bank to go with them for another six months or, or a lender for another 12 months. Well, that's all that's passe now. They're now they are coming into where they're going to have to pay up And, uh, I think that's what's, what's happening and and you're getting to that point and that's going to be a trouble for the, you know, for the economy, I think.
1: Mm. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, a bit of a pessimistic tone, but it needs to be said, Uh um, and I'm
2: trying to be so pessimistic in that. I will tell you, we look at lower markets as, uh, opportunities Mm. and we never, we never get depressed during the lo- low markets, really, particularly, we usually have a lot of liquidity and they become opportunities for us. And I think you have to manage money like that. You're going to be yeah. looking for the times when you, you can make, I wrote a little, uh, one of the books I wrote one time was entitled, The, the Psychology of Staying Rich. And most people with over a billion dollars usually have a lot of liquidity. Interesting. That, that's why they have it.
1: <laughs> interesting. So they aren't all levered up into real estate and things. That's what
2: not, not, not a lot of them. A uh-huh. lot of them have. They keep. They have enough liquidity to take advantages. Lower. Interesting,
1: price. huh? All right. Well, there you go. Very interesting. Ted Oakley, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Very interesting conversation. Uh, in closing, maybe you can tell us how listeners can find out more about you, more about the firm, more about your writing. And I will put this information in the show notes. I know your website is oxbowadvisors.com, uh, but where else can people find you?
2: Well, actually, that's the best place. Okay. We have, a, a, big, we have a, a, a big YouTube channel, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. We're on uh, Twitter, and we do those things. But the best place is the website because, you know, there's, if you want one of the books there, we'll be happy to send it to you. There's probably 10 books there. Um, and you, you can see, uh, we're, we're pretty transparent. You'll see our market letters, you'll see interviews we do, and, and, and we'll, sometimes we'll put down an interim letter about what we think's happening. So, uh, that, that's, that's, uh, you, you'll get a good taste of that. Cause we don't try to hide anything. <laughs> Look mm. at, I mean, our, our mistakes are out there <laughs> put yeah. it that way. Yeah. And you can subscribe.
1: So you get alerted to it when there's a new piece out. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see cool. it. Right. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm certainly going to do that. And I would recommend that listeners do as well. And with that, we will close for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again to Ted. And we will speak to you again in a couple of weeks. See you then. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.